take a deep breath Take the higher road That's what they always say As if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself It's life and just a dream You make your own So kick and scream The people will like With a never-ending force You never had the chance So what you waiting for The day has come, my friend Cause this is war There is one thing that still haunts me from my time working at the bedside during the pandemic. It is the faces. The faces of the patients that I knew didn't need to die. The ones that I couldn't save. I can't get them out of my head. I had never been really comfortable with death, but you quickly begin to understand more and more that death is a part of life. It comes for all of us eventually. And one of the first things I learned in nursing especially working in the ICU, was that there are fates far worse than death. And that there's something to be said for being able to provide comfort and compassionate care in a patient's last moments. I considered it an honor to do so, but this was different. These patients didn't die from a disease. They didn't die from a virus. These patients died from the complete and total medical mismanagement of COVID-19, or perhaps from something far more sinister than that. You're listening to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. And before we get started today, I do want to encourage our listeners, if you have questions or comments, or perhaps you want to share with your own experiences on what you're seeing on the front lines of healthcare, you can submit those to any of the hosts by visiting americaoutloud.com forward slash nurses out loud. From there, you can select the name of the nurse you'd like to direct it to for our drop down menu. We would love to hear from you. We encourage all of you to engage in the battle and find your voice in this fight. But until you're able to do that, we will be that voice for you. Joining me today to share his story is Dwayne Downs. Both he and his wife contracted COVID-19 in September of 2021. While Dwayne fared well, his wife Fanny ended up requiring hospitalization. And after two weeks, she became a victim of what has seemingly become a frightening new normal in this country, death due to hospital protocols. Dwayne reports that Fanny was started on remdesivir, subsequently placed on a ventilator, and as has happened too many times before in this scenario, she then tragically passed away. Remdesivir, ventilator, death. Wash, rinse, repeat. This is what I witnessed over and over again at the bedside and what ultimately led to my decision to walk away. Dwayne, thank you for being here today. Hi, thanks for having me on. You're so welcome. Thank you. I'm so I'm so glad to have you here. But first, you know, just let me say how incredibly sorry I am for your loss. There's no words to 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 describe it. Yeah, I know it. I know. You know, I'd like to talk a little bit with you about you know what what led up to Fanny's hospitalization and what what it was that led to her seeking care in the emergency room. If you want to 
just touch on that some. Yeah, Fanny was a hospital, or she was a sorry, she she was a a mail carrier, and she delivered mail, and throughout the post office, the I think times then they were quiet about sickness. They were quiet about quiet about this, that, and the other, and she just did her job. You know, we were were God fearing Americans, and we knew better than to take a shot. Uh, she she had Amish background. She was born and raised Amish, and she was animate about not taking a vaccination. Uh, we had agreed together that we weren't going to do this. We were going to stand our grounds. We were going to we were going to battle this if, we, if this came on our plate. We were going to battle it out, and we were going to live to tell about it. And so we had gotten sick uh, about the last week of August. And we were joking about it being just a head cold, you know, it is sniffling and snorting and coughing and hacking. And, you know, it really wasn't terrible at the time. Um, we spent that week, uh, she had still worked. She maintained her job, but she was getting slowly sicker. And by the weekend, she was in bed all weekend. You know, she, she was, she was having a hard time breathing I, I, I noticed it when she was sleeping. I slept right next to her. You know, we had it together. Um, her her breathing became really labored and short. And I knew there was something going on. I knew, you know, something in her lungs is not going to her, allow her to, to get her full oxygen uh, content or capacitation. And by Monday morning, I, I had convinced her. I said, well, honey... They said, you can't go to work. You know, you can barely make it to the couch. They said, we need to take you into the hospital to get, uh, you know, get some help. Yeah. And and she finally agreed upon it Monday morning. And so at that time, her oxygen level, it was a uh, 70% on the oximeter. And and I was really worried about her, you know. And, but that's the last time I seen her. You know, we had a little bit of con contact over text, but she was admitted and they put her on the CPAP. The CPAP, uh, she was not allowed to, or was not able to wear glasses, so she couldn't see. So she communication was very difficult at that time. You know, I... I, I was relying on talking to the doctors and waiting for a call back and seeing how she was doing. And um, I had talked to the doctor a couple days after they had, had, had admitted her and said that they were going to start a, a regimen of, uh, of remdesivir. I specifically remember remdesivir um, as a you know something to to combat it. And at the time. I was scared. My head, my head was in the clouds. I didn't, I didn't have the the want to 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 try to investigate why right. and well, what we trust people, right? You trust doctors. You trust nurses that they're absolutely, going to be. absolutely. Yeah. I thought they were going to fix her, and I felt wholeheartedly they were going to fix her. I, I figured she was in good care, and you know, I know most of the people. It's a small town. Um, you know, I, I'm a service manager for a tire shop at the time 
And I changed all their tires. I changed all their oil. You know, they came to see me all the time. These are people I know in this hospital. And I think most of the people, the doctors and the nurses in the hospital, at least in, you know, initially um, felt like they were doing the best that they can. I know that's how I felt in the very beginning, I think. Yeah, at the time I felt the same way. I, I, I felt like, you know, they're, they're really not trying to, to, to sidestep this, but I felt like they, half of me felt like they really didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. You know, there, there was no, yeah, there was no, you know, everybody adapted a way of how they were going to, to, to take care of themselves at that time. Yeah. And with both of you being unvaccinated, do you feel like that affected the treatment that you received in the hospital? Did the staff treat you any differently because of that in your estimation? I didn't, I didn't see it to start, but I did get the question, was she vaccinated? Which really doesn't and, make sense because it, there's no clinical significance. There's nothing different between a vaccinated and unvaccinated um, you know, patient. The viral load is the same. It, both transmit the virus exactly the same. So to be treating anybody differently based on vaccination status um, it's just absurd. I just want to say that right out the gate. Absolutely, I hundred, I hundred percent agree. I, you know, I, I, I didn't feel like that would have been something that would have, that would have set this into a, into a tailspin. Right. You know, at the time I was blinded. We were all blinded. We all were. We all were. Now, up until we this all... point, did she was she pretty healthy up to that point? Did she have any pre-existing conditions or? I know that you know, she's, you mentioned she grew up Amish, and they really don't partake in that traditional healthcare system, um, or as I like to refer to it now as a sick care system. Um, is that a fair statement? Yeah, yeah, it's a fair statement. You know, we we take vitamins, and you know, she she was she was looking into to DoTerra, and you know, in getting things to help her. Um, I know when when we were sick with it i came home from work one day and i walked in the door just right after five o'clock and she was over at the sink and she was she had a bottle of oregano oil and she was dropping it down her tongue and she 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 hacked and gagged and almost about puked you know it's nasty i guess and and she turned around to me and she says honey do you want some of this it'll make your throat feel better it's like, well, honey, that's horrifying. I don't even have a sore throat. You know, <laughs> it's like, I wasn't going to participate in that with her because I didn't have a sore throat. Right. You know, so, you know, she, she did. She, she was, to be honest with you, before she went to the hospital, her, her vitamin bottles were empty, her provitalized pro or revitalized. You know, she was throwing everything she could, vitamin D, vitamin C, um, everything she could, and it just wasn't wasn't helping her. Yeah. Did she take uh, any ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or any of those therapeutics that um, were so demonized? At, at, the time, at the time, it was talked about. Um, I didn't have any availability to it. You know, it was, we were still new into this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, it's not like now, you know, if we knew now or knew, knew then what we know now, then 
you know, there's a whole different procedure that I would have done. Oh, exactly. I think all for all of us, we would have done so many things differently, um, you know, had we had that uh, luxury of hindsight. So that's completely understandable. But, you know, during, during her admission, were you allowed to be with her at all? I know that you said when she went into the emergency room, um, I know many of the hospitals at that time, especially early on, they weren't allowing visitors. They weren't allowing anybody but the patients in, which is a whole other conversation. But so were you able to be with her at all? I know that she was there for several weeks after um, she was no longer considered infectious. Did they allow you in to see her? No, ma'am. They, they, they had a strict no visitor policy, no advocate, no um, it was, the, you know, at the time, and we were all obeying that, you know, it was, we were scared, but at the same time, not realizing that, hey, somebody on the other side needs to be there and be an advocate for it. Exactly. You know, and I say this all the time, Dwayne, you know, as nurses, we should have stood up the moment that they told us that our patients could not have an advocate at their side. You know, this this led to incredibly poor outcomes for our patients. And that's not surprising. You know, we know well when patients are left isolated. You know, even nursing staff had limited contact with these patients. We were told to limit our exposure, to cluster our care, you know, spend the least amount of time possible. They even had it to, at some hospitals, not in my own, but at some hospitals where they would pull the IV um, uh, IV pumps outside of the room. They would use extensions and pull the pumps outside the room so that they wouldn't have to go in to the patient. For myself, I worked night shift. I ignored all of that, all of it. I experienced that later on in the story. I did experience that with the IV tubes through the doors, plumb through the doors and long tubes, and and so they didn't have to be in there. And so I I I, I wholeheartedly feel you know terrible because that that's has to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, as nurses, we should have, I mean, none of that made any sense. We needed to be in there. We needed to be assessing our patients. Uh, and, and like I said, I, I, that didn't occur in my hospital, but I saw it happening in many hospitals around the country. Um, I worked night shift, and I, always, I spent time with my patients. I didn't, I didn't care. Once you're exposed, you're exposed. You know, this, is this, this thing about get in and get out, it makes no sense whatsoever. You're exposed, you're exposed. Um, but I spent time with my patients. You know, I would talk to the, even the ones that were ventilated, especially the ones that were sedated and ventilated. You know, I would like to talk to them, hold their hand, encourage them. You know, many of the nurses I worked with as well, they did the same. I, I can understand and I, I get it. And even for myself, I know that there's a really negative perception of nurses right now. Many cases, I think that that's probably deserving at this point. But in the beginning, like when you're talking about back in, you know, early um, 2020, 2021, yeah. you know, so many of us, I feel like we were doing the best that we could, you know, despite all of our best efforts, our patients just kept getting sicker and sicker. So I do, you know, I implore yeah. so many to just to give grace to these nurses who, you know, when they did know better, they did better. They, they spoke out about what was happening. Um, but it's really sad to the perception of, of my profession. And many times I don't even recognize the nursing profession any longer. It's sad. 
can't. It's, it's, I, I understand, you know, I, again, I, I don't, I don't hold it against the hospital staff outside of the fact that they were listening and, and after they knew they were still working and still employed there and still after they know what happened, you know, it, to, to actually stand there and, well, I have a pension and I have a, you know, you, you, you were different. You, you know, you, you decided this was not your lifestyle. This was not how you were going to, to be a nurse. This is, you know, the, the, to the, the whole atrocity of this was, was asinine. It really was. I, I mean, it was just too much. It was too much to bear. I mean, the moral injury, once you start realizing it, you know, as nurses, we're supposed to be thinking critically and asking questions. And it didn't seem like that was happening. Uh, following orders, you know, that isn't that isn't going to save any of these nurses when it comes down to it. You know, when everything mm -hmm. comes out that happened, just saying I was just following a doctor's orders isn't going to save any of these nurses. And it shouldn't. It should not, because we are supposed to be that last line of defense for these patients. I can't tell you how many times we've had to step in and, you know, save a patient from a, a poor uh, medical decision by a doctor. You know, doctors are human. You know, they make mistakes often, often. The third leading cause of death in the United States is preventable medical error. So these are things pre-COVID that happened often. And as nurses, we are supposed to be educated enough to be asking these critical questions and um, really standing in the gap for these patients. And I don't see that happening anymore. And I really have a problem with that. I have a real problem with that. We need to absolutely. Change. And you have every right to be. It's uh, you know, I have a niece that's uh, that was a. I don't know if she still is or not because she hasn't contacted me since this happened. But she was she was on the floor in the COVID unit, and you know she did, she did help me help me somewhat later on in her before she died and helped me get in. That you know that I'll never forget because there's nurses out there with compassion, yeah, regardless of family, you know. Yeah. And I think that more and more, and what I've seen, you know, since I started uh, remnant nursing is I see more and more nurses that are finally, they're getting the courage to stand up and speak out. And I've had so many reach out to me recently. And that really just encourages me that they're, they're ready. They're ready to walk away. Um, and they don't want to be a part of this, this system anymore. That is, it's really, it's taking lives and we're supposed to be in this to save lives when we can. And as I said in the beginning, you know, we, we can't always save lives. Death is a part of life, but these patients did not need to die. They didn't need to die. It did not need to be this way. Um, and I'm so sorry that, you know, you were, were caught up in that and that Fanny was lost because of it. Um, but I, I just admire your courage in speaking out. I do want to talk a little bit about, um, so you, you said she did receive remdesivir, correct? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. And uh, like we've seen so many times before, the remdesivir, well, by the time she had gotten there, I'm, I'm certain she was well past her rep, viral replication phase, which makes that medication completely ineffective because it does, as an antiviral, rely on that replication uh, to work. So 
on its face, we know that this medication is, it's harmful to patients many times. It shuts down their kidneys. It shuts down other vital organs. But we continue to give this medication even despite the fact that it was completely ineffective against COVID-19 by the time they reached us in the hospitals. Um, no, she was... Well, it was my, it was my understanding that, that uh, remdesivir in the Ebola trials down in Africa, um, it was a 54... Yeah, it, it, and if you looked at those trials, now they didn't lead with that, but, but if you looked at the trials when we used it in the Ebola trials, I think it was in 2008, uh, it, you see clearly that that drug killed 54% of the study participants. Uh, that was certainly, I'm sure, not communicated to you when uh, they asked for consent or when they talked about emergency use of this medication. I'm certain they didn't lead with the fact that this drug had killed 54% of the study participants. Is that a fair statement? No. I got the feeling when they, when they mentioned it, I, I got the feeling that that it was something that they, uh, to me, it's like, I'm, I'm believing these doctors, yeah. you know, I, do I need to have informed consent on this medication that they're saying is working? Do I need that? Or do I just want them to save my life? Yeah, it's a hard, and you I know? think a lot of the problem, unfortunately, is the because as a society, we've really been um, brainwashed to implicitly trust the white coat. And I can tell you that many of these doctors themselves are not truly informed. Many of the nurses are not truly informed. We can, I mean, how can we provide informed consent for our patients when we ourselves are not truly informed? We're just listening Absolutely. to, you know, we're listening to what's coming down from the CDC, what's coming down from the FDA, and we're just parroting a narrative. That's all we're doing. We have no idea. With vaccines, it's the same way. We don't have any education on vaccines in nursing school. Many doctors don't have any real education on vaccines, but we're just told that vaccines are for the greater good and that they're safe and effective. And that is literally hammered into us from day one. And we pass that on to, to our patients, to parents, but we really don't know any better. And that's, that mm -hmm. has to change. That is a, definitely a mission of mine. Um, you know, we have to start researching. I think if there's any silver lining to COVID, it is that really these captured agencies and, you know, Big Pharma really overplayed their hand. And so many more are awake now to what's been happening, nurses, doctors, and parents. Everybody seems to be waking up a little bit more. And that's, that's a blessing. I think that with the with the remdesivir, uh, you know, unfortunately, people weren't getting people weren't getting that the informed consent that they needed. They were just told it was an emergency use authorization. This was going to work, and this was the number one gold standard treatment. Now, you mentioned that she went in and was having difficulty with her breathing and her oxygen levels. Were they giving her breathing treatments or steroids at all that you're aware of? Yeah. You know, she was placed on the on the on the CPAP, and I I really wasn't aware of of what was going on. I, I I didn't have any clue at the time. I just you know it was just me against the world and trying to figure out what what was going on. 
So they weren't really communicating with you like her plan of care or what type of medication she was getting. I, I, I find that that's something that was happening and it was really frustrating. I know to a lot of patients um, that the nurses were not communicating or the doctors were not communicating these things with family members. Well, it was my experience that, that they played a good game of phone tag. Yeah. You know, you, you, well, let me get you to this desk or let me get you to this desk. And maybe can we leave a message for the doctor and I'll have the doctor call you back. And, you know, there's never a clear cut answer at all at any time. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I know that the, listen, nurses are busy. I get that. I get that we are constantly asked to do more with less. Um, you know, we're short staffed now. They're short staffed even more so um, due to the fact that they fired so many nurses, unfortunately, or so many have left because they can't partake in the system anymore because they're not vaccinated. So it's it's really, you know, we our, ourselves, our family members, everybody is going to suffer some really dire consequences um, as a result of what has happened. And it's, it's just, it's a real shame to see what's happening. And I can't, you know, to, it, it can't be overstated how we need to change and come up with something new because this system, it just doesn't work anymore. It's completely unsustainable and unfixable. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. It's, they're going to have to start fresh. I, you know, number, number one thing is people have to come together, you know, um, I, I seen a, I've seen a lot of different minds and different thinkings while I was in this process. And, um, you know, it, it almost feels like you've got a left versus right issue, a, a, pol- a political issue in the midst of a, a pandemic. Yeah. And it's not political at all. It really isn't. I've, I've had people say this to me all the time, like, well, I just have a different political view from you. Nothing, none of the, the positions I hold on the vaccine or on anything that is happening in the hospitals has anything at all to do with my political beliefs. We all have our own political beliefs. Believe me, me, I don't bring them to the bedside with me. And what's interesting is it's not really a left or right issue because there are so many people standing in this fight with me that are completely on the other side of the political spectrum. I'm very unapologetically conservative, and there are plenty of people in this fight who are on the other side. You know, they were they were uh, more uh, we have Democrats, we have Republicans, we have libertarians. It truly does this fight transcend all of these different uh, political affiliations. It's really not a left or right issue. It's really an up or down issue. Don't you think so? Yeah, you know, it's 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 hard to explain how I feel about it, because I I just there was two different thinkings you know, of, of ways of treatment and how to go about doing it. And again, I, I experienced it at, at later times before she passed. And um, I just, I, yeah, I guess maybe not left or right, but um, there's a certain believe in science and then believe in facts or, you know, that facts is not truth, truth is not facts. You know, they, they went through all of that. You know, it's like, 
you know, and, and, and the people that were on board with get vaccinated, I got vaccinated, let's get vaccinated. Um, you know, they, they, they were on a truth mission of that they were going to make sure that everybody knew that, hey, this is the right thing to do. I did it. You need to do it. Everybody needs to do it because we need to save our grandmother and our, our you know, our cousins or blah, this, that, or the other. And it was the right thing to do. And then there's others that didn't feel that way. Yeah, I think the, the harder that they pushed for it, the more skeptical I became. <clears throat> I, you know, anything that they're going to push that hard. I mean, we have, um, you know, government officials like on TV pushing this. Um, they were bribing the American people with like uh, free cheeseburgers and fries mm -hmm. and tacos and mm -hmm. pizza. I mean, what, mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. is this? I've never seen anything so absurd in my entire life. Um, and the more things like that would happen, the more concerned I got. And anything, anytime you come out with something uh, at warp speed, uh, I think, you know, that was the most concerning thing to me, to me in the beginning was just the lack of safety data. I understood. And Absolutely. I, you know, I came in not, not anti-vax. I was pro-vaccine my entire life and nursing career, but the lack of safety data was concerning to me. And it made sense to me as a nurse, it made sense to let's start this with the most vulnerable population, the elderly was who was succumbing to this illness. Nobody else. Children mm -hmm. have a 99.9815% survival rate. So their risk of death is virtually zero. Yet they have approved this untested. We have no long-term safety data. They've approved this for children. And I, it, to, that's why I ultimately resigned from my position altogether as a nurse because I couldn't in good conscience use the word safe and effective. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's still, they still haven't put it through trial. I mean, you know, what's going to happen in five years? Well, what's happening in two years? You know, what's happening in two years? You know, that, that big question mark and that big elephant still remain in the room of what actually happened, but it's not that. Exactly, exactly frightening times that we're living in and I think we're all just really trying to make our way and uh, try to figure it all out. America Out Loud Talk Radio plays on the iHeartRadio network. You can listen on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. We have the best in-class apps available on Apple, Android, or Alexa 24-7 Great Talk Radio. All of our shows go to podcast the following day. You can hear them on apps such as Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeart Podcast, and many more. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts for me. I'll catch you on the other side of this break. Stay with us. It's time and this is These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. 
HealthyCell.com, code out loud. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com where we're healing America one person at a time. We are fighting the ultimate fight between good and evil. AmericaOutloud.com replaces groupthink with innovative think. Well, it was Walt Whitman, the poet, who said, keep your face always toward the sunshine and shadows will fall behind you. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. Wherever you're listening from today and whatever you're doing, I thank you for giving me the gift of your time. Let's jump right back in. If you're just joining us, we've been talking with Dwayne Downs. Dwayne, I know we talked a little bit in the first half about, um, you know, what led to Fanny's hospitalization. If you want to touch a little bit on uh, it sounds like she just she wasn't showing uh, much improvement after her admission to the hospital, and it sounds like she had just been declining, and it uh, it came to a point where she needed to be ventilated. If you want to touch on uh, what led up to that point, yeah. So there was a couple things that happened. They did a Facebook Live with me with her. I felt like that was kind of weird because she was unresponsive at that time. Um, this was a couple of days before they called me in. Uh, I, I had been, I'd been in the mess the whole time, you know, praying for, I, I felt like I was alone in this, you know, like the world against me type deal. And I, I had no way of trying to find a diagnosis for, or, you know, study up on it and try, you know, try to, figure out what was the right medication and what what was the right way to go with it. I just knew that the she was in trouble. And, you know, she they did they had her cell phone password. And so they could they they could contact me because she could not see her phone to text. And she couldn't talk because she had the CPAP. So they were kind of communicating for her, you know, to me. And my daughter got a text from her because that was the last number she had texted. And they told her, tell your dad to get the shot. And that was not Fanny. That was not Fanny. My my daughter was horrified by that, by that, that whole fact because she knew her stance on it. And, you know, it it just, it, it, it really, it really didn't sit right with me. That, that I wasn't able to communicate with her. And, you know, I felt like there was something hidden there that I didn't know about. <laughs> um, she did get reduced to the BiPAP and they let her overnight on the BiPAP overnight because she had gotten a little better. 
And overnight, she she had an adverse reaction to it. They didn't tell me what it was. They just said that they were putting her back on the CPAP. And two days later, they called me back and said, Mr. Downs, you need to come down and, and, and see your wife. And at this point in time, we all know what that means. You know, I, you're not you're not called down there just to 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 say hi and exchange you know kisses. They're 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 looking for you to come down and, and say goodbye to her. Um, I I got there. I drove there. I was in a little mess. Uh, got in the uh, this is ten o'clock in the morning. I just got you know called from work. They threw my PPE on and I got everything all masked and ready to go and face shield and they brought me in and then brought the x-ray machine in the next day to 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 try to find out what was going on with it and that's when they found the collapsed lung well she had been failed she had failed overnight and nobody had been into diagnosis problem in that whole time frame and I don't know how long that was but at the time, I felt like she was brain dead. She had been she had been without oxygen for an extended period of time. I thought yeah. uh, extended period of time, and and when they when they when they did the chest X ray, found the the collapsed lung. The doctor was immediately called in to do a bedside procedure to repair the lung, and they did that. They got her reinflated and they got her vitals coming back up. And came out the door and told me that they felt that that she needed to be medevac to Anchorage, which is 220 miles away. It's one of the biggest. It's the biggest hospital in Alaska. Uh, and they proposed it was for better care. And it, at that time, they they jammed the vent downer and uh, called the medevac. Anchorage didn't have a room available for her at the time. So I spent all day at home waiting for a call to let me know that she'd been medevaced. And I drove that. I drove to see my wife. I, there, I was not stopping because she's going someplace else and, you know, away from me. Right. Um, I drove there. I got there, uh, secured my hotel, uh, sat down trying to process it called family to let them know what was happening. Uh, five hours later, they called me into Providence. And again, they're not calling you for no reason. And I was, I was escorted in. Uh, they had security guards out front. This, mind you, is at 2 o'clock in the morning. So I, I, I got in and I walked the hallways. And it was scary because there was, like I say, most rooms were full. They had the front of the section where I entered down the wing and the, there was medical assistance there helping patients going in and out, taking care of them. And at the back of this wing, they had a desk with people manning phones. Uh, they had one doctor and one nurse on the, on the floor. Uh, they, they escorted me down, let me in her room. I was able to, to 
say hello and that I loved her and that everybody was praying for her. And, you know, I knew what was about to happen. And the, the, the main doctor that was in charge of her came over the video uh, on the TV screen there. And he had explained to me that the, the local doctor here didn't do the lung procedure right to fix the lung. And in flight, it collapsed again. And they had spent five hours trying to get her, her uh, vitals to come back up and take care of her. And at that time, the, the doctor told me that he felt that she was not going to be the same again. You know, and, and I, I had thought this prior, but it wasn't, it wasn't ringing true to me that she was brain dead. But she had the same face that she had for three days. No response, no nothing. But I was there by her bedside. They let me in. I was able to pray with her. And, you know, I stroked her forehead and I gave her a kiss and, and well wishes. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't let me stay very long. They said, you know, we, we need to, to, to get this taken care of. And I'm like, well, I need to talk to people and make sure this is okay before I go and do any decision making that's going to end her life. And so I went back to the hotel room. And I had talked to several people, and I called back the next morning to force ivermectin. My niece, who was a COVID nurse, was insisting that we try to force the ivermectin issue. So I called up that next morning and talked to the, talked to the, the nurse there, and I said, can we try ivermectin? And she got the hackles back up on her neck, and she says, that's not right. We don't treat that here. Blah, blah, blah. You know, she was, she went off on me and then she says, I'll have the doctor call you. And then five minutes later, the doctor called me again. This is the, again, the daytime shift, not the nighttime shift. Uh, called me and he says, Dwayne, he says, even if ivermectin was safe for use and approved by the, the FDA and, you know, CDC and blah, you know, if it had all its approvals, um, your wife has passed that. And so I said, well, he says, there is this medicine and I have to, I have to look through the records to find out what it was. But he told me, he says, Dwayne, it's like a Hail Mary pass. He says, she's either going to live or she's going to bleed out. And so over the phone, I asked him, I said, well, doctor, I says, if that was your wife in that bed right now, would you use this medicine? And he says, absolutely. Was it so about 45 minutes later, I, 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 what's that? Was it Paxlovid? Was that the medication? It, it could have been Paxlovid. I, I'd have to go through the medical records and actually, um, you know, find out what it was. <laughs> It was something that they convinced me to to give to her um, in a last minute attempt to try to help her. So I agreed upon that. And about 45 minutes later, they called me back and he says, you need to get down here now. Well, this is my third call to come to the to the hospital to where my wife is dying. 
And when I got there, I walked the hallway again. Um, nobody there visiting their families. There was nobody there, nobody at all. They had a chair sitting outside the door. The doors were closed. The IV machine was outside the door with several tubes plumbed in the door to my wife. And I said, well, says, can I go in? They said, no, sir, we brought this chair out here for you. I said, well, what happened between last night and today? I was able to go see her last night. And they told me that the night crew had screwed up, that it was against COVID protocol to allow you into that room with your wife. And I sat out there for about an hour and a half in that chair and I complained. I was bitching. I, you know, I was ragging at the, the help at the desk, but they weren't listening. They weren't doing anything. They're there to babysit. That's what I felt. Yeah. You know, and, and I I had talked to my niece again. I was texting her. She told me, Dwayne, just go see her. You need to get in there to see her. And I, well, I didn't want to go to jail at the time. You know, I, I didn't want to force the issue and be escorted out of there when my wife's dying. So, so I sat there and I continued to gripe and piss and moan and complain about it. And while I was there, I was listening to the doctor down the hall and he had two identical conversations to mine when he called me to bring me down um, with loved ones, family members. And, and it was like a scripted, this is how this is going to play out and your, your, your loved one is going to die. Yeah. Well, finally, my niece ended up getting a hold of the lead of the floor. Or the, I, I, I forgot, forget, forget what they called her. Charge but she, she begged and pleaded with her to look over the case and find out any way she could to get me in to see my... To, to see my dying wife and the lady actually came out after they got off the phone she went through her records and came out to me in my chair she apologized to me she says Dwayne I'm so sorry she says you need to get in there and see your wife she says she was past the 14-day protocol and that was missed and we need you know you're allowed to see her go in and see your wife so I was able for the last 45 minutes of her life before she bled out, I was able to be back in there and be able to pray with her and love her again. Yeah, I'm so sorry, Dwayne. And you know, this this is happening in hospitals all around this country where family members are being told that they cannot be by the side of their dying loved ones and this is an absolute disgrace it's an absolute disgrace that this is happening and that nurses are allowing for it to happen these policies these protocols they make no sense whatsoever there's no rhyme or reason to them they would change like you said between day shift and night shift 
you know, I, I worked night shift. I'm a night shift nurse and I can remember the day shift nurses getting really upset with us because we would um, allow for things like that because we know that they didn't make any sense. Um, and we would, you know, sometimes we would let our uh, patient's family members come up and be in the room. And, and I personally didn't care because I knew it was helpful to my patients and I knew that not allowing them was detrimental to their uh, outcome. And you know, night shift nurses are a little bit different. We don't follow rules as well. But I can remember day shift and administration being very upset because if we couldn't stay on the same page, you know, then in situations like you, you're describing, um, the family members would get very upset. And as well, you should. As well, you should get upset. But it was heart wrenching. I, I can imagine, you know, and I, I saw that over and over again, um, where they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't let these family members in until, like you're saying, until it was too late. And then all of a sudden, it didn't seem to matter anymore that COVID was all over the hospital, because as soon as they would put the DNR or, or make their loved one comfort measures, they would allow the family member in. Well, what changed? What's different? You know, it didn't it didn't make any sense to me, but it was just so heart wrenching to watch them not be able to be with their family. And then suddenly, as soon as they said, OK, well, we're going to put them on comfort measures that you could come up. It didn't make any sense. And um, to continue to watch that, it was it was gut wrenching for me as a nurse to watch that over and over again. And I'm sure for many others um, who are in that similar situation. But um but after after she passed, I, uh, to my understanding, you had pretty much called the called out the hospital staff on their protocols and you know the subpar treatment that she received, which the the standard of care. Let me tell you, the standard of care in hospitals in this country is disgustingly low. They're meeting the standard of care, but it is so subpar. When you when you called them out on that, what let's talk about what happened to you as a result of, of you doing that. Well, I had an altercation with a buddy and the cops were called. And they didn't there was not charges to take anybody in. I mean, I you know, I I had minimal charges against me for 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 assault, which it was it's another story. Um, I wasn't in my right mind for six days and I went up on somebody that I probably shouldn't have. Well, the cops came and they told me we don't have enough to, to hold you, but we think that you should go in for an evaluation, uh, a mental evaluation of South Peninsula Hospital. And I agreed upon that. So they escorted me down to the to the to the hospital where where Fanny Fanny stayed and Fanny I kind of went through her episode um, and I was there for, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours. And the lady, the, the head doctor there was leaving the night shift. They put a title 47 mental hold on me, which is, uh, uh, if you look it up, it, it has to do with the incompetence to, to, to take care of yourself mentally. I, yeah, it's, it's yeah, just go ahead and look up. I invite you to. Uh, but anyways, and the cops threw me back in the car, and then they took me down to jail, and they put me into jail, and I was 
uh, I was transferred to a, a maximum security uh, with the rapists and the murderers oh over what happened over a minimal incident that that they felt like I should be in protective custody. And, and it, it, I felt it was a form of punishment that they did to me. And they you know, I, I felt rather like than rather than putting you into, um, if they were concerned about a, a mental a mental health crisis of any kind, so they didn't put you into uh, a hospital setting. They put you in jail. Yes, ma'am. Wow. Yes, ma'am. And I, I, I was there for a total of, uh, actually, it was ten days, seven days, third party. And then my sister went off the deep end and decided she couldn't handle it anymore. So she called the police back up and I spent another six days in jail for that. And when I went to, to court, I had sought counseling. And that's what was a, a condition of my release was seeking counseling. So I sought counseling. And they, re they they dropped all charges that I had against me, which were minimal, like I say. don't want to go into details, but they were minimal. Uh, and I went into counseling over it. But I felt the whole time like, you know, I didn't deserve to be punished. No, and he, at the time, I didn't. I, I, was in, I was not in a mental state. You know, I'd never, I've never seen this side of me before in my life. It just, it, it was like a, a, you know, like a light switch. And, you know, and I understand grief, you know, more now than I ever have. But this was more than just grief. You know, this was, this was the murder of your wife. And nobody gives a crap. Yeah. I can't even imagine, Dwayne. And, you know, we, we've, known each other now for a while we've been uh, friends on social media and so i've you know i've i've seen your story i've heard your story and i know that you're familiar with the work uh, that we do at nurse freedom network and and um you you're a great supporter i know you listen to the show regularly and i appreciate that um but for what what do you hope will come from all of this you know for for myself i hope for a reset of some kind, you know, I pray that we are able to move away from this broken system that does not serve us as nurses, it doesn't serve our patients. What What is your hope that, you know, will come from this tragedy? My number one thing is I, I, I would like people to come together over this and, you know, the, the hospital system, I'm not saying it needs to be revamped, but it surely needs more. Um, I, 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 I'm at a loss for words for what it needs. But you're kinder you know, than I am because I say burn it to the ground. But I've been in this system for yeah. a really long time. Twenty six years I've been in this system, and I, I see from the inside out. I, I don't think it's sustainable or fixable. I think there, there are good people within the system. But the system as it's designed, it's it's not serving anybody well. Doctors, nurses, patients, none of us. The system itself needs to crumble. But we need to be able to build up something alongside of it. Right. Yeah. But at the, but at the same time, you still need those facilities 
to carry out the emergency needs that you can't do over a computer and over a phone. Exactly. And that's the problem. That's the problem because we, we've gotten to a point where we don't, so many people are distrustful. And I've, I never thought that as a nurse, I would tell people to stay away from hospitals, but I do. I've gotten to that point where I had to tell somebody to go to the hospital because I knew that they were in an emergent situation. They were having a um, hypertensive crisis. They uh, had a, a blood pressure that was absolutely stroke level. And I didn't have any choice, even though I didn't want to. I told them they needed to go to the hospital because there's no other alternatives right now. So but that's what we need to work on is, is having these types of facilities that are outside of the traditional system and that's going to take a lot of work and but i i think and i pray that we will get there eventually absolutely something definitely needs to happen you know to 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 make this right you know people people don't need to die because we're waiting on somebody to 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 decide if it's right or if it's wrong or if it's suffer from from their their trials exactly Dwayne thank you so much for joining us today and and for having the courage to share Fanny's story with the world you are always welcome to share on any platform that I am blessed to have that's all the time that we have for today friends but remember we are here on the air five days a week Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern with a different nurse host daily. You can also catch the encore at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Please be sure to tune in and listen to myself and my amazing sister nurses. As we walk through all of these hot topics, we will empower you with information and education. We will advocate and we will stand in the gap for you because we are nurses and this is what we do. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton, and you can find me here every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. Until next time, be safe, be well, and God bless. Be sure to make AmericaOutloud.com your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, the podcasts, and videos so we can help secure America's future. Tune in tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time as I hand off the baton to Nurse Michelle. We are in a war for the truth. We are putting out a bounty on the real misinformation and exposing the purveyors of propaganda. Join us weekdays with a different nurse host daily. No topic is off limits as we shine our lights and expose the darkness. It's time.